0: Last week, we entered into a new year, a new decade, even. Well, I guess it depends on who you talk to. There's some people out there saying, oh, technically the decade doesn't start till next year or something. But I think it's a new decade, 2020, right? And as you know, the new year's a time when people commit to new patterns of behavior, or perhaps they want to leave behind bad habits in the old year make resolutions. And for Christians, a lot of times, I've seen this uh, being passed around online this past week, for Christians, a lot of times that means a renewed commitment or perhaps a new commitment to reading God's Word. And uh, if you're a member of this church, this really shouldn't just be a New Year's resolution for you. This is actually a covenant promise, one that we've just read aloud a few moments ago to maintain spiritual fellowship with God by regular prayer and reading of God's Word. This is actually a promise that you're making before God to your brothers and sisters, that when we're not gathered together hearing God's Word and praying to our Lord, you're going to be doing it at home, personally and in your family. So perhaps maybe you committed to a new Bible reading plan this past week. A lot of people have been doing that. But it can be frustrating when you do make that commitment to seek to be faithful in reading God's Word. And you're reading it day after day, and you feel like you're not getting anything out of it. And then you come on Sunday, and somehow, week after week, the preacher brings a passage, and he's able to get three main points out of every passage, no matter what it is. And then you go home and you read those bloggers that you follow or you talk to your friends who are having a Bible reading plan and it seems like every time they read God's Word they're getting some kind of life-changing nugget of truth that just blew the doors off of everything they ever knew or understood. And you're just thinking, "Well, well, why not me? Why is it everybody else, when they read God's Word, has this amazing moment of enlightenment and communion with God But for me, mostly, I feel and get nothing. And we can get the impression that there must be something wrong with me because everyone else is getting these amazing truths out of the Scriptures and I am not really feeling anything. And that's one reason why I think it's good for us this new year to begin in the Psalms. So will you turn with me to Psalm 65? Next week we're going to return to our series through 2 Samuel, and I would encourage you, as our third covenant promise says, to regularly assemble with us in this new year to hear about the rise and fall of King David and how it gives us a hope for a future King Jesus. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 65, and we won't have an outline per se. The thing is about the Psalms is they don't really like to be outlined. The Psalms are poems. The Psalms are songs. They're artistic, and art does not like to be systematized or outlined or boiled down to a main point. The Psalms want to be sung, they want to be prayed, experienced, meditated upon. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to move slowly, line by line, through Psalm 65, choosing to dwell and meditate on whatever truth the Spirit of Christ might press into our hearts. So if you ever feel like you don't get anything out of your Bible reading, I would encourage you. The Psalms are here waiting for you. Take them up. Read them. Experience them. Pray them. They're here to put into words the deepest groanings and longings of our hearts, which we sometimes can't even express ourselves. In the new year, I think that Psalm 65 is going to do a great job of helping us to express the feelings and and, and to capture the hopes that we feel at the beginning of a new year, looking forward to what God might do, looking forward to what we hope God will do for us in 2020. So, if you found Psalm 65, let's stand together as we read. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose, and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness of God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs? You make the going out of the morning and of the evening to shout for joy. (coughs) You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. You may be seated. If you were to thumb through the book of the Psalms, you'd find that some of them begin with a desperate plea. Some Psalms begin with a complaint or a lament. Some with a shout of praise. Some Psalms begin with a truth. ponder and meditate on. This morning, Psalm 65 begins with a direction. We hear a phrase repeated over and over again in verses 1 and 2, and it calls to our hearts. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come look at ourselves at the beginning of a new year here I am this person that's made to sing and give forth praise and to make vows and promises and resolutions but I don't know where to direct them towards myself towards my friends spouse my boss toward the culture The psalmist points us in all of our aspirations and prayers and desires and hopes for a new year and unfulfilled longings and praises and celebrations, he says, direct all of those things in a Godward direction. To God in Zion, to the one who hears our prayer, to you. Hardwired into the DNA of all flesh, is this Godward orientation. The reason why this world is filled with sin and strife and restlessness and hatred is because men and women and creatures who are made to live to God have chosen instead to live to ourselves. A Godward life is a peaceful life. This is what the psalmist is calling us to. All of our praises and our desires and longings and aspirations find their purpose when they are directed toward Him. A peaceful life isn't an inactive life. It's a life where no praise goes unwasted. No promise goes unfulfilled. A Godward life is one that recognizes my telos, the goal, the purpose for my existence is to direct all of my living and my praise and everything that I am <coughs> up toward him i was made to perform my vows to the lord this is what i was designed to do this and this is the point of these opening statements to you to you to you all of the appetites and desires and impulses that i have been given have not been given for me to serve and feed and please myself or someone else They're all meant to drive me to you, God. This is why I exist. And until we do, until we do direct everything we are to God, we will be restless and we will not have peace. It's been quoted so many times, I'm sure it sounds cliche by this point, but Augustine is so correct when he says, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest. In you. We see though. As we move through the psalm. Into verse 3. That as the psalmist directs his focus. On God. He finds not a God. Who is sitting still twiddling his thumbs. But a God who is active. A God who is at work. A God the psalmist marvels. Who is at work and active. From me. Look at verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Verse 4, blessed is the one you choose and you bring near to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. So we have this picture of the psalmist summoning everyone and everything, all flesh, he says, Come to the Lord. And then we find him there among all of the nations and all the peoples gathered before the throne of God. And all of a sudden, as he's in the presence of a holy and righteous God, things get personal real quick. He realizes how unworthy he is to set foot in the courtroom of God when my iniquities prevail against me. As he enters the door... There's a voice in his head that reminds him of all the sins that weigh heavily on his heart. Pressing down. How guilty he is. That when he enters into the presence of a holy and righteous creator God, he deserves to burn forever. But when the psalmist confesses his sin, when he tells the truth, even as the guilt and shame of his iniquities are pressing deep upon him, he manages to look up to God, and what does he find? He says, God, you atone for our transgressions. Atonement. A covering, a blotting out of the record of all the law-breaking that you have committed against God. And how? Well, by the blood of Jesus, you, O God in Zion, you, O hearer of prayer, you who, est- who strengthen and establish the mountains, you who still the roaring seas, you who make the morning and evening to shout for joy, you are the God who atones for our sins. This address is a human impulse that manifests itself every new year. And it's the desire to atone for our own sins. Self-improvement. Performance of vows for our own personal betterment. Improvement and atonement. We can atone for our past poor eating habits or our past poor financial spending choices, our past poor time management. I'm going to improve myself. But we can't. And certainly not in an eternal way. We cannot enter into the courtroom of God. And we cannot by our own power blot out a single sin from the record book of God. Only God can do that. And so God the Son became man. And then he lived the perfect law keeping life that we could not. And then he went to Trial and was convicted in our place and suffered the death that we deserved for the sins that we had committed. And he was put into a grave. But he came back out. And he went up into heaven. And the blood (coughs) that he shed, he used to wipe out the entire record of sin against us. And then he placed his beautiful white righteousness over that record book so that when we go and stand in the presence of God, our sin. Is covered. Atonement. This is God's doing. And not ours. And what else has God done? Not only has he justified us in his sight. But he has elected us. Verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose. And then he sanctifies us. And you bring near to dwell in your courts, and he will glorify us. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. When the psalmist raises his eyes and has a Godward orientation, he beholds a God who has completed salvation from start to finish, election, justification, sanctification, glorification, and everything in between. He beholds. The work of God. God, our Savior, he says. As I was reading these verses and pondering the experience of the psalmist, I could not help but notice how similar his experience is to what we experience when we gather on Sunday mornings. We come here to gather and we begin by pondering God and all of his excellencies and focusing ourselves in a Godward orientation. And yet, then immediately, sin and guilt and shame press into our hearts as we recognize how lawless we are in comparison to his perfect righteousness. And yet when we confess our guilt and our sin, we find a God who has atoned for our transgressions and one who sanctifies us so that we can draw near and make offerings in his presence and sing. And fill his courts with praise. And he sanctifies us by his word as we listen and it washes over us. And then we depart blessed and trusting that he is accomplishing an eternal glory in us and one day we will behold him. Ultimately, we come to God, the psalmist realizes, because we are homeless. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. We're homeless. We go out into this world. Yes, we build little lean-tos for ourselves, but it is a cold wilderness we are living in. We were made to dwell in the presence of God. There is only one house for us. And it's His. He is our home. Outside the presence of God, nothing will satisfy. It's a world where we dine on thorns and thistles. But in the presence of God, we are satisfied with His goodness forever. A goodness which is eternal, not fleeting. And as we are satisfied in God we become the glorious creatures that he has made us in Christ to be. We become fruitful and multiply in every way. In our marriages, we begin to flourish. In our workplaces, we are fruitful. In our studies and our schoolwork, we grow. Our homes are filled with goodness. Our communities blossom with justice. Our churches burst forth with righteousness All good things that we're bringing out of the storehouses and the pantries of God because we live in His house. All good things given to us, purchased for us, a very inheritance, eternal, spotless, kept in heaven for us through Jesus Christ. The psalmist speaks with confidence in verse He says, we shall be, we will be satisfied. I wonder whether in 2020, though, we need to turn that into our prayer. Lord, let us be satisfied. Let me be satisfied with the goodness of your house and nothing else. It's all or nothing. We were made to feast and be satisfied in God. And our God this morning, we've even celebrated, has brought his goodness near to us in the person of Jesus Christ who says to us, take, eat, (coughs) take, drink, feast on me. I am the only thing that will satisfy you. This is the truth as we move on to verse five. The truth that the psalmist clings to. with joy. This is the truth he's clinging to as he heads into the uncertain future. He says, You will answer us with what? With your righteousness. That's what we want. That's what we hunger and thirst for. Our confidence as we enter into the uncertainty of a new year lies in the God of our salvation. And we know his salvation is mighty. Because all the ends of the earth and the depths of the sea have depended on him from the dawn of creation to uphold their existence. This is the God we're depending on. Because the mountains themselves would crumble at this very moment, if not God holding up their very foundation. Because the roaring seas and the warring peoples of the earth come to a complete standstill when the Lord himself speaks one word, peace. We know that our hope is well founded because morning and evening and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold myth, witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. The fact that the sun rose today and will rise tomorrow and every day of 2020 until our Lord Jesus comes, proclaims to us our faith, <coughs> has found a sure and resting place will not disappoint us. He will satisfy us with his righteousness. When verse 9, the psalmist takes up a new metaphor. He begins to speak of God, the gardener. God the gardener, verse 9. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with shallows, and blessing its growth. The psalmist describes God as he waters the earth, and he visits the land like a gardener visits a beloved patch of ground. We see him there, watering it. Softening its soil, breaking up the hard clods with showers of water. Preparing the earth to bear fruit. This past weekend we got a fair amount of showers, (laughs) I'd say, here in Newberry. How often do we see the rain as the visitation of the Lord? (coughs) You know, we take it for granted, but if we didn't have days like yesterday... If the Lord chose not to send forth his water, all of creation would die. I'm reminded of God's promise in Isaiah 44. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Or who can forget the invitation of Jesus from John 7? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John explains exactly what Jesus means. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Friends, some of you are dying of thirst. kids, some of us are dying of thirst. You need water. You need the living spirit of God to be poured out upon you in 2010. Oh, that he would send copious showers as the psalmist describes in 2020 upon our church and this community. Oh, that he would soften the soil of this church. God, that you would soften the soil of my heart in 2020. Oh, that the spirit of the living God would make us tender toward our spouses and our children and our coworkers. Oh, that his water would run down into the hard places of our, so- of our souls so that we would be softened toward the poor, toward our enemies, towards those who hate us. May his living water soften us in 2020 because only softened soil can bear fruit. We love to hear it. It's growth you bless. Yes, Lord, we want growth. We want growth in our lives. We want growth in our church. But there can be no growth without the softening showers to come first. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't budget our way into church growth. We can't financial plan our way into church growth. We can't strategize our way or see what's working at another church and do it here into church growth. We cannot even baptize our way into church growth because there is no growth without the coming of the living water of God. We can baptize infants, adults, and elephants every day of 2020, and we cannot grow the kingdom of God by a single soul. No, the Spirit of God has to fall first. Churches find ways to grow without the Spirit, but brothers and sisters, is that the kind of growth that we are going to crave? Is that what we're hungry for? What kind of growth will satisfy the longings of our soul in 2020? Many people are going to find ways to have personal growth in 2020 that have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. Is that what we're looking for? Growth that is man-made, growth that is blessed by man's standards. Or do we want a growth that's blessed by the Lord? This is the harvest the psalmist desires, and may it be ours as well, as he finishes in verse 11. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with the flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is a harvest that only God, our Savior, can bring. After the soil has been watered and softened and the seeds are planted, the psalmist describes a year crowned with abundance. So much abundance that he says it's like God is bringing in his harvest in a big old wagon. And it's piled so high that it's digging ruts in the trail. And in that trail, all the produce is just pouring down the mountain of harvest and out of the wagon and into the ruts so that there's two lines of fruit just leaving a trail behind the wagon. there's such an abundance and bounty of harvest. What if the Lord crowned 2020 with his bounty? What kind of abundance would it produce? What do you picture? More money? A bigger house? A new car? A bigger career? If the Lord let you harvest the deepest desires of your heart for 2020, and He gave you every (coughs) single thing that you prayed for, what would you receive? When you picture the meadows clothed with flocks, the valleys decked with grain, what do you see in your life? What do you see in your church? A church with an overflowing bank account, pews filled with the rich and mighty and influential, a a political election that swings the way you want it to. What do you picture Or do you envision boys and girls repenting of their sins and being baptized in the name of Jesus? Do you envision the lost and looked over poor in Newberry finding at College Street Baptist Church a home where they belong? Do you envision dads and moms leading their homes and teaching their children how to serve the Lord with their lives? Do you see deacons caring for the widows of this church? Do you see overflowing funds being sent (coughs) Out of this congregation. To send the gospel to the nations. Do you see a church sending its own members. To take the gospel. To the nations. What do you see? I remember Kevin DeYoung saying one time. If God gave you everything you prayed for tomorrow. How many people would be saved? If 2020 is the year crowned with his bounty, what bounty are we hoping to receive from him? I think as we finish this morning, there's a warning that lies gently below the surface of this psalm, and it's this. If you're a father or mother, and you had a child, and that child, no matter what you gave them, squandered and wasted everything, Would you continue to give it to him? You know, we we think of the parable of the prodigal son, and the father did give the the younger son his share of the inheritance, but we don't find the prodigal son receiving checks in the mail while he's away living riotously as the father continues to sustain him in his wasteful living. The father lets him go bankrupt. Here's the warning. We cry out in 2020, Lord, crown this year with your bounty. We want your abundance. Send the rain. Give the harvest. Lord, give me more time this year. But what are you doing with your time currently? Give me more money in 2020. But what are you doing with the money he's already given you? Give us more members, Lord. Crown this year with your favor... But what are we doing with the members we currently have? Give us more funds as a church. Yeah, but how are we spending the funds that he has already given us? Give us more baptisms, this Lord. And what are we doing to disciple those who have already been baptized? It's not that God wants to withhold from us, but we need to consider what we would do with this kind of abundance. And the answer is exactly what we have been doing before we received it. Are we currently giving sacrificially to send the gospel to the nations? What makes us think we would do that if we were given in abundance in 2020? 2020? Are we currently using our table as small as it may be to show hospitality to our lost neighbors and friends? What do we think if God gave us a bigger table and a bigger house, we'd start showing hospitality to our lost neighbors and friends? We want the abundance, but the abundance does not make us faithful. However, it is often the faithful who find themselves in the midst of God's abundance, often surprisingly unexpectedly, suddenly. If 2020 is the year of abundance, have we cultivated the faithfulness to be able to steward his goodness? And if not, will we begin today? Will you devote yourself to regular prayer and reading of God's word, teaching your children to do the same as we have promised this morning to do? Will you gather regularly, habitually, weekly with your church as we promise in our church covenant that we will do? Will you give sacrificially of your financial resources to care for the poor and to see the spread of God's kingdom as we promise in our church covenant we will do? If we are not going to be faithful to these promises, why should we expect an abundance in 2020? Friends, I do believe there is an abundance waiting for us this year. He will crown this year with his bounty. Will we draw near to him? Will we be satisfied in the goodness of his house? Will we pray for him to pour out his living water, his spirit upon us, so that we will give forth good fruit? And will we join our God in his joyful harvest? Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that we would be faithful and that we would trust that you will give us a harvest if we do not give up. God, we thank you for all the ways you have sustained us and helped us to serve you in 2019. We pray that we would trust in you to give us a harvest in your due season. We do pray, Lord, that you would crown 2020 with your bounty. It's in Jesus' name we trust and pray.